Welcome to Continued, part of the teaching ministry here at Third Baptist Church. My name is Keith. I'm one of the pastors here, and our aim in this time is to dig deeper from the sermon on Sunday morning, digging deeper into the text, uh, into exegetical issues, historical issues, contextual issues, whatever issues come up that we feel ought to be chased down a little bit further. My name is Adam. I'm also one of the pastors, and Keith and I are going to be having this conversation. So, welcome to Continued. Look at the ministry of Jesus. Did did Jesus just wake up one day as the God-man and say, you know, I'd like to do a few good things for a few good people today. I, I I feel, you know, this extra urge to do something nice today. I'll go out and, and heal a few people, maybe raise my best friend from the dead. Um, it, it, that, that's not the case. They have a specific purpose. Actually, in Jesus' ministry, miracles were proving something, and they were proving that he was the Christ that was prophesied from long ago. Welcome to Continued, as as Keith and I are discussing a a really interesting topic today, the topic of the miraculous. In your sermon last Sunday, Keith, you started us off in Acts chapter 3, and uh, the church has been birthed, the Pentecost uh, sees this influx of new believers. Acts chapter 3 is this the first interaction between the church and the outside world, really. Uh, we've got a encounter between Peter and John and a lame man who's begging in front of the temple. So describe what's happening in Acts chapter 3 and this miraculous event that takes place. Yeah, I, I titled the message... Presence and power continued, and um, what what we're trying to communicate is that this ministry that the apostles have been given it was the baton that was handed off by 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 the Lord Jesus Himself, you know, before He ascended into heaven. And then when He ascends into heaven, He's at the right hand of the Father. All things are under His feet. The baton has officially been passed. But the ceiling of that baton being passed is Pentecost, like you mentioned, and the outpouring of his spirit. He told his disciples, it was, it'll be better for you if I go to the Father because I'm sending the helper. And when the helper comes in, um, the, the ministry of Christ won't be confined to a small patch of land anymore. In fact, what does he say? He said, go, go to the ends of the earth, right? And, uh, and this message of, of uh, repentance and forgiveness of sins must be, must be proclaimed. And so the baton has been passed, passed off. Um, so, so this was not just a, a shameless plug for the podcast to continue, right. but right. no, this is actually the, the ministry of Jesus. Yes moving through the the efforts of the apostles. Yeah, now. and I actually thought about shamelessly plugging the <laughs> uh, the the podcast uh, and 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 I need to do more of that by the way up there but um, but yes, so it, you know it's, and it's not as if Jesus is in heaven telling his disciples, "Hey, I'm up here. I'm watching over you. You guys do your thing. You know, know that I'm up here, you know, and, and but but he actually sends himself, his spirit. So he now he's no longer beside the apostles in physical in his physical form as the son of man, but now he's inside of them in his spirit, the spirit of Christ. And he's doing the same things he was doing in his earthly ministry through the disciples. So that tells us simply 
that Jesus' ministry did not did not end when he ascended to the Father. Um, there, in fact, there's there's not even a speed bump. It, it is continuing and is continuing in force and in power and in in his presence. The ministry of the church is the ministry of Jesus. Yes, hands and feet. We are his hands and feet. We're, so I, I, you know, I started the sermon asking the question: Is the church Jesus talking? Is the church Jesus walking? You know, theologically, yes. I mean, this is true. Um, uh, but are we, you know, are we are we engaging in this? Are, we, are is is the voice of Jesus being heard through us? Um, so, yeah, setting up this 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 true scenario, this reality that uh, Jesus is in us and He wants to work through us. So, in Acts chapter three. Peter and John encounter this lame man, and and he's hoping to get some money out of this encounter. He's thinking, "Hey, I'm gonna I'm gonna get a uh, a coin thrown in my my bucket today." But Peter and John have something much better to give them, don't they? Yeah, yeah. Silver and gold we don't have, um, you know. And some of us can relate with that, you know, especially coming from coming from seminary, you know. <laughs> <laughs> silver and gold we definitely didn't have. Um, but no, what, what do the apostles say? Silver and gold we don't have, but what we do we give to you. And these are the true riches, right? In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, a very specific calling, not in the name of a higher power, in the name of God who is out there, in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, who is God in the flesh, who died for the sins of the world and was raised from the grave and now is seated at the right hand of the Father. In his name, you it's a command, get up and walk. And this is making the exceedingly clear connection between the power source, Jesus himself, yes. and the event of the miraculous healing. Yes, that's right. That's right. So Jesus is the one doing this. Um, and so as we as we talk about this, I, I didn't I didn't talk about the background of the of the miraculous ministry of Jesus, but I think it's I, I think it is just just a just a quick run through of, of of Jesus' miracles. You know these the, these men are doing miracles, um, doing doing the same. We see we see this mirror imaged in really in Luke chapter five. The apostles, the, the apostles doing the yes. similar miracles. Exactly. Not not just not just any men in those days. The apostles uh, were doing these apostolic signs um, that were mirroring what Jesus was doing. Luke chapter five. You know the the friends lower the buddy um, down. The friends lower their friend uh, in uh, from the roof in front of Jesus. Jesus. Um, first of all, he says your sins are forgiven. Um, then he says, "What's easier to say your sins are forgiven, or to say pick up your bed and walk?" And he and he and he said and he commands him, "Pick up your bed and and take up your mat, and go home." And he does it, and 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 there's awe and astonishment with the crowds. Really, it's sort of a, the same scenario, same language going on here. The comparison between Luke chapter five, when Jesus heals the man lo- lowered through the ceiling, and Acts chapter three, when Peter and John healed this lame man, there's a lot of similarities. But let's let's pause for a moment and. And step back, and can you define for me what a miracle is? Let's let's set the foundation here so we're talking about the same things as we talk about what Jesus was doing and the apostles doing, and then eventually what is happening today? Are the miraculous gifts still happening today? So what is a miracle? Yeah. Well, the for us to use the language of miracle presupposes divine, right? We're, we're, we're assuming, you know, what's implied here is uh, that there is a God, you know, and that he steps in. So I think, and Adam, I'd love to uh, have your angle. I think what we could say a miracle is, is the divine 
stepping into the natural. And by the way, these aren't these aren't two categories that are ripped apart, you know, divine and natural. This is God's natural order. But it is God stepping in um, to the natural processes and either reversing or correcting by means of the miraculous, that this really can't be explained naturally in naturalistic terms, but, but, but um, God steps in and reverses um, and corrects and fixes uh, supernaturally. And I think there's also, uh, maybe if we just talk about a suspension of the natural laws to complete God's purposes because there's other miracles, you know, think about Jesus walking on water or the multiplication of fish and loaves. These are miraculous events that that suspend the natural law for a divine purpose or a uh, divine proclamation really to tell something. Yeah, that's to right. To show something. And, it, and, and that's what they're doing. Um, that's what miracles are doing. Miracles have a purpose. Now, let's look at the ministry of Jesus. Did, did Jesus just wake up one day as the God-man and say, you know, I'd like to do a few good things for a few good people today. I, I, fe- I feel, you know, this extra urge to do something nice today. I'll go out and, and heal a few people, maybe raise my best friend from the dead. Um, it, it, that, that's not the case. Uh, it's not, they're not random acts of, 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 of the miraculous. They have a specific purpose. For Jesus, his miracles were proving something, that he was the Christ that was prophesied from long ago. John, in John's gospel, calls them signs. Um, and there are seven, uh, seven signs that John has in his gospel. Um, to what he says, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm showing you these things so that you will believe in the name of Jesus Christ and, and, and have, have forgiveness of sins and eternal life through him. By believing, you may have eternal life through him. So seven signs, he did much more than seven. Um, seven is the number of completion. Um, and, and, you know, John even says at the end of his gospel, if, I, if I'd written down everything Jesus did, there's not enough books in the entire world. Um, so the miracles of Jesus were signs primarily that he was the Christ. Now, where, did, where were they getting that? What, why were these signs? What, what were the precursors to these signs? Well, we find them in the Old Testament. We find them in Old Testament prophecy, specifically um, a couple of, of, of major passages in Isaiah. In Isaiah chapter 29 uh, there, there's in Isaiah 29, Isaiah 35. There are two passages that um, you know that, that are that Jesus uh, he fulfills. He also quotes the gospel writers allude to these passages. Here's what it says: uh, Isaiah 29:17 says this. Isn't it true that in just a little while Lebanon will become an orchard, and the orchard will seem like a forest? He's speaking of the messianic age um, when things will be healed. On that day, listen to this: the deaf will hear the words of a document. Out of a deep darkness, the eyes of the blind will see. The humble will have joy after joy in the Lord, and poor people will rejoice in the Holy One of Israel. Notice the language here. Uh, the deaf will hear and the blind will see, Isaiah says, in the day of the Messiah. Now in Isaiah 35, starting in verse 3, listen to this. Again, talking about the day of the Messiah, when the branch will come, what will he do? Strengthen the weak hands, steady the shaking knees, say to the cowardly, be strong, do not fear. Here is your God, vengeance is coming. God's retribution is coming, he will save you. Then the eyes of the blind will be opened and the ears of the deaf unstopped. 
then the lame will leap like a deer. Sort of the same language, you know, we see in Acts chapter 3 with the man's jumping, leaping, he's praising God. And the tongue of the mute will sing for joy, for water will gush in the wilderness and streams in the desert. Here's what Isaiah is saying. In the day of the Messiah, when God sends his servant, the servant of the Lord, the branch, the Messiah, these things are going to happen. The, the eyes of the blind will see. Uh, the deaf will hear. The lame will leap. And the mute will speak. This is the day that is prophesied, and we see Jesus doing these exact things. Yes. So, so what are, what are the, what's the point? I'm the Christ. <laughs> you know, not, not simply just being a good person. No, I'm doing these things in order to show you I am the Christ prophesied from times old. Mm-hmm. He, he recognizes this in his own ministry when Jesus goes to Nazareth to... Uh, he opens up the scroll and reads there in his hometown. And, and part of that text that he reads, and this is in Luke chapter 4, says, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to, to pro- proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering the sight of the blind. So this aspect of the miraculous healing is part of affirming who he is as the Messiah. That's right. And, and Jesus even says that. He says, today the scripture, this scripture is being fulfilled in your hearing. Mm-hmm. So even though he actually didn't do any miracles there in Nazareth, because apparently they didn't have enough faith, um, but he recognizes one of the ways that I am affirming who I am is through these miraculous acts. And, and don't we see that continued with the apostles? Yes. They are affirming their authority, which is now through Jesus directly, and they also are doing miraculous acts. Yes, they are. And, and before, we, before we go there, I, just, I, wanted, I wanted to show our folks here in, in, in Matthew chapter 11, you know, again, just reaffirming this. I know, I know we covered this, um, but affirming that this is indeed... Um, these these miracles are indeed uh, the the signs of the Messiah. When when John the Baptist is in prison, Matthew chapter eleven, I'll just summarize it for us. John the Baptist is in prison, and he's and 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 by the way, he had doubts. Did you did you know that John the Baptist had doubts in the middle of Jesus' ministry? He's the greatest of the Old Testament style prophets. Yeah, Jesus loves him. He affirms him, encourages him, and yet. John the Baptist is doubting. Yes, and what does he say in Matthew chapter 11? Um, uh, When Jesus had finished giving instructions to his 12 disciples, he moved on from there to teach and preach in their towns. Now, when John heard in prison what the Christ was doing, he sent a message through his disciples and asked him, are you the one who is to come or should we look for someone else? Uh, John's asking, are you really the Christ? This is the same John. Like you said, Adam, that's the greatest of all prophets, the same John who saw the Spirit descend from heaven (laughs) upon Jesus at his baptism. Jesus. Baptizing, yes. This is the same John who who proclaimed when Jesus was across the Jordan, behold the Lamb of God, and he's asking, are you the one to come? Why is he asking that? It's because he's in prison. And he even had some faulty misunderstandings. Um, and he even had some a faulty understanding, a full understanding of the of the of the the ministry of of the Messiah, um, because you know he's 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 imprisoned. I, I mean, certainly you know I, I you know I understand I'm the forerunner. I thought we were going to be you know conquering together. I'm here in prison. Is this the real deal, or should we look for somebody else? And and what does Jesus respond? He doesn't say. Um, didn't you see the dove descend? You called me the Lamb of God. What's changed? He doesn't say that. He says, Jesus replied, 
Go and report to John what you hear and see. The blind receive their sight, the lame walk, those with leprosy are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the poor are told the good news, and blessed is the one who isn't offended by me. Basically, he's saying, blessed is the one who doesn't continually trip over his faulty understanding of what the Messiah would actually do, because what I'm doing is actually what the Messiah was prophesied to do, the true Messiah, and that is to do these things, to heal and to give sight to the blind, to, to you know, raise up the lame and to preach good news to the poor. I, I am. I am the Messiah because of these things. Yeah, and I love that you know, John the Baptist, even in his doubts, and, and we all may experience doubts at some point, what does John do with those doubts? He takes those doubts directly to Jesus. Yeah. And that's what we all need to do. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, don't that's... struggle with them alone, but no, take them to Jesus. Jesus knows because Jesus doesn't slam John for that. Mm-hmm. He, he encourages him again. He says he's the greatest man born among women. And, uh, and, and so we see that this is a good pattern for us when we experience doubt. That's a great point of application. Yeah, that's right. We should, we should when we experience doubts, and we will, um, because we're fallen human beings, um, we sh- instead of turning our eyes to something else to find fulfillment, to find answers, we should turn our eyes towards Him, and that ought to drive us to our knees even more, just like John did. You know, any way he can, get in contact with Jesus. In the same way, we have direct access to the Father, uh, casting ourselves before Him and asking for Him to, to you know, to gird us up, to strengthen our faith. was the fact that he was setting right what was wrong. He was restoring creation back to its original intent. That's, that's an element of him doing these miracles. And the sign aspect and the foretaste of a new creation aspect are both there. And this continues on with the apostles' ministry, doesn't it? They, they also are affirming their position as apostles directly connected to Jesus's ministry. That's right. And, and that's one of the things that, that I did spend a lot of time on in, in the sermon from an application standpoint. How do we apply these miracles today? You know, we're going we're gonna to talk about miracles today, but when we read this text, when we read the text of, of, of the Gospels and Jesus healing, this man that was healed by Jesus through Peter and John in Acts chapter 3, at the end of his days, he died. And his body is in, a, in, in the ground somewhere today. So the, the application can't be, hey, if we just believe enough, Jesus wants to make us happy and healthy all the days of our life. Um, and, and if we just have enough faith, he'll, he wants to do all these things. We're, we're just holding him back. He'll, he'll heal us all. Um, every prayer uh, we offer unto him, if we have enough faith, he'll, he'll, he'll make, he wants to make us happy. It, that can't be the end all, be all. Because... <laughs> those people died. And, and, and we, in this present age, even if we are healed, we, we will pass away if the Lord waits. And, but if he comes, he'll take us. But if he waits, we, we will all die. But here's, here's what we can gather. It's a hope. It's a glimpse. It's a foretaste. It's the appetizer of what Jesus will deliver when he returns, and he will unleash his healing power on all of his people. And we will never ask for healing again because we will be capital H-E-A-L, healed for all of eternity. 
Um, so, you know, really, the, these are just, like I said, like appetizers that we, you know, we taste them and it, and it is so good and it makes us long for what's coming. So to connect Acts chapter 3 to 2019, our setting, should we expect to have a healing ministry, a miraculous ministry in our churches today? Are we... Uh, should we be going down the charismatic road? Hmm. Great question. <laughs> Should we be? I'll turn this to the audience. Should we be? <laughs> no, no. So the question, let's, you know, let's put the question out there. Do miracles happen today? Yes, they do. And we pray for them every day, right? Um, you know, I'm, I'm thinking of our prayer meeting with, with our, our folks that come on Wednesday nights at 6 o'clock. We have prayer guides each week, and, and listed on, on, on the prayer guide are our, our dear uh, brothers and sisters in our fellowship that are, that are hurting deeply, that are in the hospital, that, that you know, many times the, the doctors are still unsure, asking questions, the outlook is unsure uh, about uh, you know, the quality of life or, or, or how much longer. What do we do, though? We don't say, well, that's just, you know, we, we can't expect God to move. No, we, we, we pray. We ask God to step in and to heal, place your hand of healing upon this dear brother or upon this dear sister. So what do we, you know, this conversation seems to be polarizing, miracles or no miracles. But when you, when you look at practical ministry, we pray for miracles every day. Yeah, it's, it is a common prayer to ask for healing. Yes. Um, that is not outside of our comfort zone. No. No. But yet to think about miraculous events within the church that does get outside of our comfort zone. It does. And here's where I think we can, we can make a distinction between Jesus, his apostles, and us today. Let's distinguish between categories here. No longer are we looking on TV, looking in the miracle worker ads, trying to find that miracle worker out there, that one guy of whom God has chosen, he's, he's anointed to be the miracle worker. Um, we're not looking for, for that guy. You know, in the same way, you know, Adam, you and I are not, you know, we're not exercising and wiping our brow with, with a sweat rag and then selling it and saying, mm-hmm. you, know, you, know, you, you know, buy this sweat rag from this godly man and anoint yourself with it and you'll be healed. We're not understanding um, that in the same way as the first century. Like they, I mean, Peter, that's what they did with Peter, right? I yeah, mean, that Peter, happens in, in the book of Acts. We'll probably get to book, it yes. later which is a distinct difference between the ministry of the apostles and the current ministry of the church today. That's right. So no longer is the, the ministry of healing, here's the difference, directly, supernaturally connected to a person. Now they were in Jesus' time. The Messiah and his miracles are, are, are one, are, are connected. Because they're, they're affirming, affirming who he is. Exactly, affirming who he is. In the apostolic age, the apostles and the, and the works of miracles are together. Um, they're, they're organically, spiritually connected. The miracle, the, the acts of miracles, and the person. You know, the miracle to Peter, the miracle to Paul. These, these men were miracle workers. Why? It's because they were the apostles. 
They, they, were, they were proclaiming this message of what God has done, and God was establishing and confirming what he has done by means of, of, act, of, these, of these miraculous acts through these mere men. Here's, here's what it was, here's the sign. God is in this. God is doing these miraculous signs through these men, so what they're saying must be true. The truthfulness. Exactly. But, but, but that's not where we are today, is it? Correct. We, we have the affirmed, completed truthfulness of God written down in Scripture. Whereas the apostles were part of the writing of Scripture and, and living out in the, the time frame of the canon being established, God's word being r- written down, we have the completed version. And so that authority is now in, in Scripture, not in a person. That's right. That's right. And that ties directly into what James exhorts his hearers to do. Now, James, the book of James, the brother of the Lord, uh, one, of the, one of the elders of the Jerusalem church, um, he's writing to God's people. And, and what does he say uh, at the end of his book in James chapter 5? Let me, let me start in verse 13. Listen to these questions and listen to these answers. Is anyone among you suffering? He should pray. Is anyone cheerful? He should sing praises. Is anyone among you sick? Listen to this. He should call for the elders of the church, and they are to pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. The prayer of faith will save the sick person, and the Lord will raise him up. If he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. It's interesting there that is not James is not calling the church to go out and find a miracle worker. No, this is within the body, the local community right there. Bring together the elders. Bring together those mature believers. Right. And what should you do? You pray. That's right. I know. That's, that's exactly right. So this, you know, this conversation is, is really a categorical conversation. And, it, and, it, and I think it's healthy when we look at it in that way because we are not apostles. We are not uh, God's sent ones. That's what an apostle is. It, is. it is Jesus' sent ones, his commissioned ones, to do something very specific to that time period, right? To be the ones who are proclaiming what God has done in Christ. And, and God is affirming that message through, the, through them by, by, by the acts of, of the miraculous. But what, what are we to do today with the full revelation of God in our hands, in our local churches, ministering God's word to God's people, those who are sick among us? We should expect the miraculous, but we do it together. We do it in body life. You know, invi- bring the elders in. Bring faithful men and women in. Pray over this brother who's sick. Anoint him with oil, you know, um, and, and pray that the Lord would miraculously heal this man. And James seems to have a lot of confidence that God, God can do this. God will do this. Um, but again, it's not looking for that one guy. It's, it's God working through the prayers of, of his people. On the question of do miracles still happen today, the answer is resoundingly yes, yes. because the church is still an extension of the ministry of Jesus. And Jesus is a miracle worker. Jesus is giving us a foretaste of the ultimate healing that will come one day. And he's doing that through his body, through his people. Yeah, that's right. And you know, Adam, let me, let me cut in there. You know, we, we were talking, when we were talking about the new heavens and the new earth, you know, we made mention of these miracles 
in the scripture. You know, these miracles in the scripture give us hope that, you know, it's a foretaste, but, but also miracles today are, are foretaste as well, right? Not, not just then, but today when God miraculously heals, it, it, is, it is also um, a, a taste of, of what is coming when God will heal us fully. I think if we were to sit around with a group of people, you could probably get uh, stories from a lot of, uh, probably more than we expect, people maybe in our family or extended uh, circles of influence who have experienced something that can't be accounted for any other way than God's hand. Um, It is not as uncommon as we want to maybe believe because that's one way our culture has conditioned us. If you ask the question, why don't we see the miraculous today? I think that answer that is answered very differently in a Western context versus non-Western contexts. If you get outside of the United States, you start looking into Latin America or African contexts or Asian contexts, you actually you find a lot more stories of, of miraculous encounters, both healings and, and things that that build the kingdom of God in ways that that are amazing. And uh, and why is that? I think we have a a worldview issue at play here. Uh, The Western society, Western civilization is built on modernism and and this uh, humanism that puts human ability at the center and and science, and what can we accomplish? Yeah, and the human mind at the yes, center. If the mind yes. can't understand it, then it's then it's then we don't need to we mm-hmm. don't need to spend time on it. Mm-hmm. You know, discuss it, worry about it. If we can't yeah. figure it out, this really found its culmination in a guy named David Hume. He was uh, he's known for just his skepticism, and and he doubted the supernatural so much so that that he undercuts any possibility for miracles. It is not within his worldview that the supernatural will ever interact, can ever interact in natural law. And so David Hume uh, does not allow a place for miracles to happen. And, and his basic thesis is that, that if you look at common human experience, we, we function by natural law, we, we have our categories of reality, and and miracles don't fit into those categories. But if we start to really ask around and, and see all these people in all these places where unexplained events point to a larger story, point to a divine intervention, uh, I think we'll see that David Hume's skepticism is not realistic. It doesn't interact with reality in the same way that all these other cultures, non-Western cultures, even in our Western culture, uh, see that there are miraculous events that uh, that happen. This can affect us, and and we need to we need to be aware of how you know this this rational, scientific, mathematical um, worldview can affect us as Christians who believe in the supernatural. We believe in the divine, but this can still af- affect us. And and here's here's the. In the most base level, here, here's here's how it can affect us. Do I wake up each morning expecting God to move mightily? Do, do I am I praying for God to move mightily in in my in my family in my community in the world? 
Um, I might, I might pray that. Do I? Am I expecting that? Because in reality, you know, when we pray for revival, we pray for people to be saved. We're praying for a miracle. You know, this, this isn't just the the physical body, right? The, the greatest miracle is when the Holy Spirit, you know regenerates a human heart, and the, the old man has been put away, and the new man has been put on. Opening blind eyes. Oh, yeah. <laughs> the, 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 you know, open the eyes of my heart. You know, the, the spiritual eyes um, that were, that, you know, the God of this world, Paul says, the lowercase g, has blinded the eyes of the unbelievers. It's only through Christ as that veil lifted. So that's, you know, we pray, we pray, for, but, but here's the thing. Am, am, I, am I expecting that? Am I, am I prayerfully expecting it? Am I expectantly praying uh, for God to, to move mightily? This, this affects us. Yeah, our prayers reveal our theology. When we pray for God to move in a miraculous way, you know, do, do we reveal a true belief that God does act like that, that God can save physically and spiritually that God is sovereign over all. Yes. And I think that's the connecting point. You know, if we bring this down to a practical level, you know, I, you know, Adam, you and I both know that, um, you know, in our, in our church, I mean, uh, you know, you, you think about the church at large, but, but specifically our church, even between you and I, you know, if we were to write down everything we believe and how the spirit, the nature of the spirit's movement today, we would, we would disagree on things. You know, we all do. There's a spectrum here of, of you know, where do you fall on the, on, the, on the gifts? You know, where do you fall on healing? Where do you, you know, fall on this, that, or the other? But this is, but this is the unifying principle here, um, that the spirit... Uh, is moving. The spirit wants to move. The spirit wants to move through you, um, and and uh, and he moves in and through us. He moves in and through our community, and 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 so we 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 know that we read we see that in the scriptures. Now he's not. The Spirit isn't going to use us in the same way that He used Peter, same way that He used Paul. Again, you know, different categories. We're not apostles, but He does want to move through us, and God's kingdom is still expanding, and he, and human hearts are still being conquered for the kingdom, and God is still revealing Himself, um, uh, you know, in, in in physical healing, in spiritual healing, um, to to gather His children into His family. Yeah, and and there is a there is a spectrum. Of, of understanding regarding these things. On one end, you have cessationists, which believe the gifts have ceased because the canon is closed, because God's word is, is finished, then there's no need for these gifts. And we've, we've talked a lot about how these are sign gifts. And, and yeah, I, I do believe the sign gifts mm-hmm. are done. But there is more than just sign gifts. And uh, we are not affirming a person anymore, but God's foretaste of a, a recreation is still alive and still vibrant. And so the other side of the spectrum is, is the charismatic movement and, and uh, a, a focus on the gifts, yeah. so much so that it's a necessity. Mm-hmm. It's a hierarchy. It right? is a, a requirement for salvation. And so along this spectrum, I believe there can be genuine, godly believers on both sides mm-hmm. And, and yes, we have different interpretations, different understandings, but, um, but we all affirm that God is still at work and God is, is about building his kingdom. And so there is going to be tough discussions that come out at times. Um, but uh, as we read through the book of Acts, we need to, we need to pray that we too can be a, uh, 
a conduit for God's power to flow in our culture. Yeah, that's right. And, and, and I think we can say this. We need to always exhibit, put into action, godly discernment. Um, you know, how does the Spirit move? He moves through His Word. Um, and, and he'll never do something contrary than his word, right? So always having godly biblical discernment um, about, you know, what may be claimed the Spirit is doing, um, but not be bound by that. Also understanding that God is, is active today. Um, and, and, and embracing that and, and praying in that way, listen, uh, you know, Lord, you know, teach us to be discerning, to know what you're doing and what you're not doing. Um, but also use us, you know, don't, don't let me be, don't let my hands be bound behind my back. Lord, use me in any way you see fit. You know, I think the, the verse says we have not because we ask not is really telling in Western culture because we, we don't ask for the miraculous and then we don't have the miraculous. And so, uh, you know, that's, that is a, an area of growth in the Western church that we need to, we need to pray for, for God to move and expect him to do that. So to close up this session, here's a, a few resources that I've found incredibly helpful as I've looked into miracles. And uh, one of those is a two-volume set by Craig Keener called Miracles, the Credibility of the New Testament Accounts. And he starts with New Testament and works into the early church and church fathers, but then comes all the way into modern history, examining miracle accounts and um, verified factual testimony and witnesses and evidence-based look at miracles, and he does a fantastic job. It is a dense read, though, um, but if you want to look into modern miracles, this this guy looks into his, it's uh, between differing viewpoints. A book I've gone back to is, is done by Zondervan. It's called the Counterpoint Series, address many different controversial issues. This book is called Our Miraculous Gifts for Today, Four Views, Cessationist, Open But Cautious, Third Wave, Pentecostal Charismatic Views. This is edited by Wayne Grudem. Uh, The Counterpoint series is a great series um, for a lot of different issues if you want to look into those resources.